Well, good morning, everybody, and good morning to all of you in Calvary up in Quakertown. It's good to have you with us this morning. As you just saw, we're in a series that we're calling Make Way, in which we're looking at a few of the Old Testament kings of Israel, seeing how they prepare the way and make the way for Jesus, the King of Kings, whose birth we'll celebrate in just a few weeks. But before we tackle our uh, few kings for this morning, there are a few announcements that you need to be made aware of. First of all, this Wednesday is Rise Against Hunger. I know most of the slots are filled, but there may still be a couple of openings. And so if you would like, and you can free up your schedule, or if you failed to go on and make a reservation, there still, be, uh, there still may be some time for you to do that. Also, uh, our Urban Toy Store has two more weeks to run, and there are still some families and kids to be adopted and toys to purchase. If you haven't done that yet, you can go on the website, onto the app, and it'll kind of walk you through the process. Or we have gotten some comments back from people saying, well, I'd like to participate. I don't feel like going onto a website and purchasing, adopting. If you would like to make a gift to the Urban Toy Store, you can do that. You can write a check or give cash to the Urban Toy Store. Just make sure it's designated in that way. And we will have people make those purchases for you so you don't have to jump through the hoops of uh, going online and doing that. Also, in just a couple of weeks, we're having lights along the lane, uh, kind of our gift to the community at the season when we're still kind of locked down to some degree. We're going to invite people to come and drive through our parking lot with lots of lights and experiences, but we're still in need of lots of volunteers. I mentioned, I think, last week or the week before, we probably need about 400 volunteers to pull that off. Uh, all kinds of opportunities. You can be in costume, you can be behind the scenes, you can be set up, you can tear down. We're still in need of about half of those volunteers. And so, you know, December 11, 12 is coming pretty quickly, and there may be some training or at least some information that needs to trade hands. Uh, so please, uh, if you can, free up yourself for one or both of those evenings. Sign up to volunteer for Lights Along the Lane. Also, Christmas services are coming. If you remember, we have five that are scheduled, one Sunday morning, and then four will run that week, Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve. But it's a little different this year. We're asking you to go online and put your reservation in for which of the services you would like to attend and how many in your family or in your group are going to be coming. We do want you to invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite people, but we do need to be able to figure out how many services we'll need, how many rooms we'll need to have and such. So please go online, go to the app and reserve your spot. Well, now that we're done the announcements, we can get back to make way. Well, up until this point, we've looked at three pretty familiar kings and three pretty familiar stories. We've looked at Saul, we've looked at David, and we've looked at Solomon. And there have been glimmers of hope, did you notice? I mean, every once in a while, even with Saul, you kind of, yeah, you get a little hopeful if you don't know the story, but in the end, all of them turn out to be disappointments. But there are a few lessons we can learn, even with three kings. And what I've been doing, as we kind of work our way through the series, I'm collecting little lessons, and maybe when we wrap it up, I'll kind of spin them out for you. But here are a couple of lessons. And here's the first one. God loves to use flawed people to accomplish his ends. And that's a pretty good thing because that's the only kind of people that are around. But just because you're flawed and just because you failed doesn't mean you're disqualified. Look at Saul, look at David, look at Solomon. God used them 
And they have big flaws, major gaps, big failures, and God still uses them. Here's another lesson I hope you noticed, and we see this all through the Bible, but it really comes to a clarity with the kings. God is faithful to his people, and his plan will be fulfilled. Human failure, you know, the screw-ups of the kings don't cause God to all of a sudden stop being faithful, and they don't mean that God's plan now is kind of put on the back burner or can't be fulfilled. No, God is faithful to his promises, faithful to his people, and his plan will be fulfilled in all of its detail. And so every once in a while when you're reading the kings, even David, even Solomon, you're reading them, you think, oh my goodness, that means God's plan's kind of it. No, 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 God's plan continues. God's able to superintend through all of those situations. But the one big lesson you've probably heard every week, but we need a better king than all those kings. As good a king as David was, a man after God's own heart, we need a better king than that. Somebody who was as wise as Solomon, we need a better king than that. And the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament is preparing the way and making the way to the perfect and ultimate king. And that king is Jesus. And that's what Christmas is all about. Well, this morning, we come to two kings that remind us that most of these guys have really strange names and very weird circumstances. In fact, if you went to Bible college or seminary, I guarantee you, you hate all these kings because some really weird Old Testament professor made you memorize their names, and you had to memorize them in order with dates spelled correctly. Don't ask me why there are weird guys there. <laughs> and so we had to memorize, you had to memorize, but they're weird names. They're hard to pronounce, and the situations are strange. Well, some of you probably have heard of the divided kingdom, where you have Israel in the north and Judah in the south, right? Today, we're looking at two kings that actually start the division of the kingdom. So uh, Jeroboam is the king of the north, the king of Israel. Rehoboam, king of the south, king of Judah. And so we're going to talk about that division today. And you're probably going to see yourself to some degree in your reflection of those two guys. And we're going to see how they're making way and preparing the way for the ultimate solution. Well, uh, before we uh, look at the actual incident, let's uh, take a minute to think about the background. Because uh, you have to keep the context in mind, right? The kings don't show up on the scene out of a vacuum. There's a big history that leads to it, and everything kind of flows from it. So if you remember, we started the first week in the series, and we looked at Deuteronomy 17. Now, we're not going to go back and read those verses, but you need to keep them in the back of your mind. Here's what Moses said. One day when you get in the promised land, you're going to ask for a king, and that'll be okay. Just make sure the king, like all of the other people, number one, does not trust in military might. Don't have lots and lots and lots of horses. Don't trust military might. Secondly, don't trust political alliances. Don't marry princesses from all the other kingdoms, somehow, you know, building treaties with them. Don't trust the military. Don't trust politics. And thirdly, don't trust the economy. Don't trust wealth. Don't accumulate lots of possessions, multiply gold, and somehow think you're safe because you have lots and lots of stuff. Trust God, not the military. Trust God, not politics. Trust God, not how much stuff you have or how much money you have. Boy, those lessons are pretty contemporary, aren't they? Trust God instead of. But you know, there's another passage where those things kind of come up. 
that I was thinking about this week. And since I was thinking about it, I'm going to tell you. Um, maybe two of the most famous verses from the Old Testament show up in Proverbs chapter 3. I say that, and some of you are already thinking of it, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge, or is better translated, submit. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path safe. He will direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Right out of Deuteronomy, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge and submit to him, and he will make your path straight. He'll guide and direct you. Well, I'd be willing to bet that most people who have memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 couldn't tell you too much about the context. Well, I'm going to read the context to you today, and I'm going to ask you to uh, recognize a few things that we know. Most people believe, most scholars believe, that Solomon wrote most of Proverbs. I mean, Solomon, the guy we looked at last week? The guy who prayed and asked for all the wisdom, the guy who kind of got hung up with political alliances and accumulated a lot of stuff and whose heart got diverted from God, that Solomon wrote most of Proverbs. And the reason Proverbs was written was not to give us cool little, you know, sayings that we can, you know, cross-stitch on pillows and hang on walls. And Proverbs was given to train the next group of leaders. And back in that world, right, it's sons that became kings, and the leaders were normally related to the others. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to read Proverbs 3, 1 through 13, and I'm going to ask you to picture Solomon speaking to his son Rehoboam as he's passing on, in his old age, his wisdom as to how he should conduct his life and lead the people. Keep in mind the main themes from Deuteronomy 17. So here we go. My son, Solomon said. Now, you got to remember, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Like anybody in Israel could have been his son, right? <laughs> but maybe this is Rehoboam, right? Maybe it is. My son, here's what he says. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring, pre and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. You know, maybe Solomon looks back over his life and his old age and he's regretting some of those decisions he's made. Maybe he's regretting some of those political alliances that came through marriage. Maybe he's regretting the times he was worshiping idols. We're not sure when, but if Solomon wrote this, can't you see this wise king passing on the advice to the new ruler, the next generation, and it almost sounds like he's paraphrasing Deuteronomy 17 as he's passing on to Rehoboam, his son, how he should then live. 
even though he himself didn't live that way too well. Hmm. Well, how about the root problem? Now, what's the root problem? Now, this is going to be a little bit like deja vu, but you have to understand the root problem if you're going to understand the divided kingdom. The root problem we talked about last week. The divided kingdom comes from a divided heart. And the divided heart that produces the divided kingdom was Solomon's divided heart. Remember the two verses we looked at last week? One from 1 Kings 3 and one from 1 Kings 11. So 1 Kings 3 says this. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to his instructions, giving him, given by his father David, right? Just like Proverbs 3 says, he's doing all that. Except, uh uh-oh, anything that comes after the except is bad news. Anything. I love you, I love you with all my heart. Except, anything after the except isn't good. But it takes a while to get there. By the time we get to 1 Kings 11, the except is producing a however. King Solomon, however, loved many far and wise beside Pharaoh's daughter. All of these old political alliances, now he's trusting in all these political alliances to bring him security and safety, and his heart is led astray. Now here's the problem with the except becoming the however. It's internal. So you don't really see it, right? Just like when you put a seed in the ground and it begins to ger- you don't see the germination. You know, it's one of these hydro things where you can watch it. But normally you put it and so you can't see it. In fact, the seed's growing, it's germ. You don't, you don't have a clue anything's happening until like weeks later, all of a sudden something pops out of the soil and eventually there may be a giant harvest, but it all started internally. You didn't see it. That's part of the problem with our accepts. Accepts are always internal. They're not seen at first. Therefore, we think nothing's happening. We can pretend that everything's going along okay. But here's the other problem. The accepts to the howevers are also gradual. They're internal and gra- it goes real slow. There's a whole lot of time between 1 Kings 3 and 1 Kings 11. A lot of time goes by. The accepts take root. They begin to germinate and grow, but the harvest comes a long time later, internal and gradual. Now, if you wear glasses, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Do you ever notice if you wear glasses? I wear glasses. You ever notice you can wear your glasses, you wear them around, and you 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 don't understand, you don't conceive, you don't see that they're getting greasy and dirty. You ever notice that? Until one day you put it on and you can't see anything. So what the heck happened? You take them off. They're so smudged with face grease and other stuff on it. How in the world can you see? You, but it was a gradual process, right? A little bit of grease, a little bit of lint, a little smear here, a little smudge there. But over a period of time, your glasses become so full of stuff that you can barely see. Oh, yeah, but here's another way. Do you ever notice how gradual your prescription changes on your glasses? Like you think you're seeing okay. And you're you, until eventually you go and you want to buy new frames to be cool, right? And so you go, they won't give you new frames because it's been like nine years since you've had your eyes checked. And so in order to get new frames, you have to get a new prescription and you get your eyes done. And all of a sudden, you, he puts the lenses on and now you see clear and you think, I haven't been able to see for the last two years. It's gradual. Yeah, that's how accepts become howevers. It's internal before it's external. And the process is gradual. So I asked you last week, and I'll kind of just ask you again quickly. Do you have any accepts growing in your heart? You love Jesus. You're committed to him. 
you know, you're committed to connecting with God and being impacted by him and connecting with people and impacting them. And you're doing all of this kind of stuff, but are there some accepts? Are there some seeds of accept growing? It's growing internally, so nobody else sees it, and you don't see it most days, and, but it's growing gradually, and eventually something's going to pop out of the soil, and a plant's going to come, and eventually a harvest will be produced. Well, I want to read the beginning of 1 Kings 11, and then I'm going to tell you the story of uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. But let me read to you the context of the however to show you the harvest that the accept brought. So I'm going to start in 1 Kings 11, 1 and 2, and I'm going to keep reading. And you look at the mess that comes from the little accept eight chapters earlier. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women beside Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Welcome to harvest. The divided kingdom is rooted in a divided heart. Solomon's divided heart actually winds up dividing the kingdom into Israel and Judah, And that's how the rest of the story reads. Well, how does that story go down? Well, the two main players. The first player we're introduced to is Jeroboam. Now, uh, now you go back one side. We're still in a divided kingdom. (laughs) Jeroboam is not related to Solomon, right? Jeroboam is a really competent worker. In fact, he's so good at his job that Solomon puts him in charge of all of the laborers, particularly all the northern laborers. And so Jeroboam, really bright, really good at his job. He is in command of all of the laborers. And remember, Solomon's a really good contractor. He's building all kinds of stuff, which means Jeroboam has his act together. Well, one day, uh, Jeroboam's uh, going for a walk, probably out to uh, check on how the laborers are doing. And a prophet named Ahijah just walks up to him and sees Jeroboam. Jeroboam, I have a message for you from God. Jeroboam says, wow, what is it? Well, give me your robe and I'll show you. 
Now, Jeroboam had just bought this robe at Banana Republic, so he doesn't want to give it to him, but he kind of takes it off reluctantly and gives it to him. The crazy prophet, right, Ahijah, proceeds to rip his new robe into 12 pieces, tears it all up. I mean, Jeroboam's probably freaking out, right? He's got probably got guards and stuff. What, what are we doing? But then he remembered, you know, prophets do crazy stuff. Every night. Let me just remind you of a few crazy things prophets do. Isaiah the prophet went around naked for three years. I'm hoping the pastors here never do that, right? <laughs> Jeremiah wore a yoke that was made for oxen. He wore a yoke around his neck. Ezekiel, he was just freaky. He did all kinds of weird stuff, right? He built little clay tablets he'd play with, shaved all his head, he beat it with a sword. And so maybe Jeroboam's saying, prophets are usually nuts, right? So I better not do anything. He rips his new robe into 12 pieces. He then gives Jeroboam 10 of the 12 and keeps two for himself. He then says, because of Solomon's divided heart, God is tearing the kingdom from him. And you, Jeroboam, are going to get 10 pieces, but God's keeping two for the house of David. Wow. Well, Jeroboam must have uh, tried to take matters into his own hands because soon after that, (laughs) Solomon tries to kill him. So probably he begins to say, hey, some prophet said I'm going to be king of the north. Solomon hears that. He's not going to put up with that. Send somebody to kill him. Jeroboam takes off and runs to Egypt, stays there. He's in Egypt for a long time. Uh, come back some. Solomon has a son. His oldest son is named Rehoboam. Rehoboam. So he's kind of the crown prince, right? So it's time, you know, Solomon's getting old. Maybe he does the Proverbs 3 thing. We're not exactly sure. Um, Eventually, it's time for Rehoboam to kind of take over. And so uh, Solomon dies. Now it's Rehoboam's turn. As soon as Jeroboam in Egypt hears that Solomon's dead, he comes back. He comes back. And so he kind of gets together with the people he knew. And just before Rehoboam takes over, uh, before all the northern tribes kind of commit their allegiance, they come with a request. And the request seems kind of, you can read this, right? It's right after 1 Kings 11. Just keep reading. Um, It's kind of a good request, right? All the laborers that worked under Jeroboam, you know, were taxed like out the wazoo. They were working like crazy. So they come with a simple request. Look, Rehoboam, uh, we re- we'll serve you. We'll, you know, we'll submit to you. We'll kind of allow you to be king. Please, can you like lighten the tax load a little bit and the work a little? Just please, like, it kind of sounds like a married. Like, uh, get rid of the taxes a little bit. Just reduce taxes, reduce the labor, and we'll follow you wherever. Well, Rehoboam says, huh. I need three days to think about it. That's good counsel, right? He first meets with all the old counselors. He meets with his father's counselors, all the secretaries. He convenes a cabinet meeting of all of Solomon's secretaries. The old guys say, hey, the request is really a good one, right? Just give them a break, right? Lighten up, you know, reduce taxes. Look, you got all this stuff, right? Your father was like filthy rich. Lighten the tax load, reduce the labor. He said, okay, okay, you guys are all the Smith. Fire's all them. He brings in a group of younger counselors now. And the younger counselors say, what are they talking about? They're just wimps. They don't want to work. You need to increase taxes. That's what you need to do. You need to increase the workload. They need to make more bricks with less straw. We're going to increase taxes. Tell them your father beat them with whips. You're going to sting them with scorpions. You are. Your father may have been the man. You're really the man. Well, Rehoboam 
sides with the young guys. Because whenever you get a group of young people together like that, they usually make really wise decisions. So he meets with all the people from the north and says, heck with that lightning, the tax load and labor, I'm increasing it. The 10 tribes say, Jeroboam is now our king. We're leaving. And the kingdom is split for all time. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. It's divided forever. Remember the root, all the way back in Psalm, a divided heart led to divided kingdom. And all of that works out according to God's plan, even though the human beings are really guilty in the midst of all of it. Now, you may think up until this point that um, Jeroboam's kind of the good guy and Rehoboam's the bad guy. Eh, no, not so quick. Jeroboam's a smart guy. That's what he is. So as soon as he gets all of the tribes gathered around him in the north, he realizes, hey, if all of these northern people still have to go to Jerusalem to worship, they may wind up going back to Rehoboam. So I've got a plan. I'm going to invent a religion for the north. We're going to worship calves. So he sets a calf way up in the north and a calf in the south and said, no more going to the temple. You're going to worship these calves. Kind of reminiscent of what Aaron did, right? We're going to worship these calves. Idols. He fires all the Levitical priests, institutes priests, anybody who's willing to pay the right price. says, Jeroboam is not headed in the right direction. In fact, Jeroboam becomes so wicked that through the rest of the history of Israel, those northern ten tribes, all of the bad kings, and they're all bad, right? All the nasty, wicked kings of the north, every one of them is said to, and they followed in the footsteps of Jeroboam. And they followed in the footsteps of evil Jeroboam. His legacy is sin. That's Jeroboam. Hmm. Now, did you notice we had two kings, right? We have Rehoboam and we have Jeroboam. And both of them kind of off the rails a little bit. And maybe it's hard to even find a glimmer of hope in these two guys. And certainly a lot of failure and a lot of flaw. But they have the same problem underneath it all. And here's the same problem. They reject God's revelation, and they elevate their opinion. That's the problem. Did you remember what Proverbs, I didn't read Proverbs 3 for fun, right? You remember what Proverbs 3 said? Don't trust your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to God. Neither of them did that. Now, Rehoboam did it a little bit of a disguise. He brought the old guys in. Notice, he never called in the prophets he never asked God in prayer what he should do. He called in the old counselors. He didn't like the advice they gave, so he fired them. He brought the young guys in. He liked their advice, so he followed that. He's rejecting God's revelation. He's not following Deuteronomy 17. He's not following Proverbs 3. He's off the rails. He's rejecting revelation, and he's elevating his opinion. Well, Jeroboam, he doesn't even call any counselors in, right? He knows what he should do. He's going to create idols because he wants to find his security. He wants to find his significance in having the people submit to him. He's afraid if they go to Jerusalem. He's afraid if they go south. He'll lose his handle on them. He's rejecting revelation, and he's elevating his opinion. Two kings, same problem. Do you see yourself in that? 
Do you ever uh, reject God's revelation? Because it doesn't seem to make much sense. Look, put yourself in Jeroboam's shoes. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You're going to allow all your people in the north to go to the temple in the south three times a year? That doesn't make any sense. Oh yeah, but the revelation says, well, the revelation doesn't make any sense. You ever read the Bible and say, this doesn't make any sense. I better not do it. I, I better go with my own opinion. Or I'll call in some counselors and see what they have to say. Huh. Rejecting revelation, elevating our opinions. You see, here's the problem that we all have. Look, we all want security. We want safety. We want significant. We want all of those things. But sometimes our hunger and pursuit of those things trumps anything else that God wants us to have. And the real problem is not that we're searching for those things. God promises them, but we search for them listening to the voices that are diametrically opposed to God's voice. Are you going to follow revelation and the wisdom of God? Or are you going to follow your own opinion, the wisdom that you think you have? And that, that's not too wise. Rehoboam called in the counselors, but they weren't too bright. Jeroboam had himself as a counselor. Well, that's having an idiot for advice. Both of them are off. They reject revelation. They elevate their opinion. That's the problem. And that's our problem. We hear what God says, we put it on the back burner. We assess what it says in our own minds. We make a decision that we think is wise. We call in counselors until we find one that agrees with us. Then we go with that one. You know, but there is a solution. Only one solution. The solution is the one that the kings are pointing to. The kings are leading us to the ultimate king. And the one solution is Jesus. Let me read to you how Paul wrote it. Now, keep that wisdom stuff from Proverbs 3, Solomon being all wise. Keep that in the back of your mind, right? Deuteronomy 17, Proverbs 3, all the failures of these kings. And, and listen to what Paul writes. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. What's the mystery of God? Namely, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The last verse that I read from Proverbs 3 says, pursue wisdom at all costs, pursue wisdom. Paul says, Jesus is wisdom. Pursue him, follow him. The kings are preparing the way for the king. The kings need to make way for the king. That's what we need to do in our lives, too. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for these uh, strange people with funny names and really weird circumstances that we can't even relate to. And yet when we uh, scratch back from the surface and see underneath the veneer, we kind of see someone that resembles ourselves. We see Rehoboam that calls in counselor after counselor until he finds one that agrees with him, and then he runs with that plan. We see in Jeroboam somebody who doesn't even need counselor, just goes with his own gut. And all the while they reject your word, they reject the prophets, they reject revelation as they elevate their opinion. Lord, help us as we uh, move toward Christmas to be preparing our hearts as soils prepared for the seed, as we make way for the king. And Lord, maybe the message of this whole series and the message today can be encapsulated and turn your eyes away from all these things 
Turn them to Jesus, just like Paul said. That's where wisdom and eternal life are found. We pray in his name. Amen. 